Welcome to Fire Headlines, where we cover the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. Our topic today is charging for non-emergency services. The village of Savoy in central Illinois is set to vote on a new ordinance that would allow the Savoy Fire Department to charge for non-emergency calls at assisted living facilities within the village. The non-emergency service would primarily be lift assistance, with the charge being anywhere from $300 to $400. Now, when I first saw the title of this article, I thought the concept of a fire department charging for any service was a little odd. But after reading the article, I see that other fire departments in the area already charge for services such as lift assistance. So, Bob, how does the decision to charge for non-emergency services benefit the community? Awesome. Thank you for the question, Samantha. Uh, it's good to be back around the table. Jeff, good to see you again uh, as well. If I could, Samantha, what I'd like to do is I really want to start with the, the intuition around this policy and what kind of problem it's going to solve. And if you'll have permission to take us to class here, and I'm going to bring us back to Economics 101. Good with that? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I want to constrain the conversation about non-emergency specifically to what we're talking about here. And this is care facilities, and even specifically lift assists. So the role of the fire chief, among many things, but one of the really primary things a fire chief is trying to do is determine the allocation of scarce resources. Fire resources in economic terms are considered a common pool good or a common pool resources, which means it's non-exclusionary. We don't exclude people from calling for or activating our services, but it is exhaustive. So in economic terms, that's considered a common pool resources. Non-exclusionary is exhaustive. We could eventually run out of fire units to be able to manage manage calls. So thinking through that, understanding that, and we go into supply and demand, what we are trying to do in a common pool resource scenario is prevent demand from overrunning supply. We cannot have more calls than we have fire engines to be able to manage calls. Optimizing Typical supply and demand, if we remember the laws of supply and demand, is speaking to markets, private markets, about how much quantity to produce something at what price and meeting an an optimal equilibrium of charging the right price and producing the right quantity so that there's no waste. That's conventional. In this case, it's a little little bit different. What we as a fire service are optimizing for is response time. That's that is a metric we use as risk. I don't agree with that, by the way. I just want I, I want to put that out on the table. I do not think that is the appropriate metric, but by and large, and we can let's do an episode on that. Spend a day talking about what's the appropriate metric to measure success of a fire service and how we're managing risk. But today, that's largely what's used as a metric for success as a fire chief is trying to optimize response time or response time standards, 90% of the time responding within these categories. So we're managing supply and demand to optimize for that um, response time. So what gets set up here is what's called a tragedy of the commons problem. Tragedy of the commons. Have you heard of this before? Maybe. If I have, it's it's been a while. What about you, Jeff? 
Yeah, I was all over this. I loved it. I knew where he was going. I was eating it the whole way. I, I'm in. I'm in. Tragedy of the Commons, Samantha, is is generally articulated in, as a natural resource type problem. Imagine for a second, we are running fishing, a fishing business. We each have a fishing boat. There are only so many fish in the ocean. And if we fish beyond our an allocated supply that we can extract from the ocean, you know, we all get to catch the same amount of fish. But if I, in my selfish greed, decide to catch more fish than what my allocation or allotment is, we run the risk of, of running the ocean out of fish. So, so the, the fish in this situation is a common, common resource. And if I'm motivated by greed and the absence of appropriate regulation, we run the risk of, of depleting the entire fish supply. In this situation, so that's that's sort of an example of tragedy. There are others, but that's it. It's it's really well explained in natural resource environment, but here it applies as well. There's only so many fire units to manage a, a certain demand of calls, optimizing for response time, like we already talked about. So tragedy of the commons just explained is defined as an economic problem where an individual consumes a resource at the expense of society. The cost on society here is that that engine or, or response unit going to an assisted living facility to do assisted living work. And now they're not available to respond to other calls, which is impacting response time, the objective. And it's, it's creating opportunity costs. What else could that engine be doing, but for the fact that they're assigned to that call. So this is really how we're examining this, like through an economic lens, that cost the society bears a cost by having less fire engines and or, or emergency resources and a longer response time. I know it sounds a little bit complex, but this is what is actually happening across our system. That cost to society is called an externality. So to summarize, only so many response resources, we have a fixed supply. To manage calls for service, which is an uncertain demand, we don't know what the demand is going to be. So we try to optimize based on predictions of what we think our demand is going to be. And we're optimizing for response time. So the solution from a public policy perspective when externalities like this occur is to impose a private cost to the source of the problem, such as a tax, a fee, a fine, et cetera. The, the, the fine in this case, as you pointed out in the intros here, is to disincentivize the behavior and reduce the demand. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm following you now. So the reason why this, this in particular is generating a lot of frustration in emergency response systems is that these facilities, assisted living care facilities, nursing homes, et cetera, are supposed to be able to care for patients even when they fall. For a variety of reasons, and I'm going to let Jeff explain what some of those are, these facilities call EMS when somebody falls to pick, pick them back up. So thus EMS, the system, fire departments and EMS, the system is subsidizing their staff for services that the facility is charging the patient to provide. You pay a fee to be in these facilities for a service and they're not providing that service to you. Instead, they're calling the fire department to subsidize their services. And then this is also largely seen as a service outside what the fire department is there to provide. It's outside the mission. I mean, we, we don't go just pick people up as part of a, a service package that we provide now in there, right now there's some, you could, you could argue you will fall is a, is a medical situation that bears assessment and we can get into a little bit of that, but the assumption here and, and what policy problem they're trying to solve is this is a service that that care facility should be providing. 
they're calling out us out. And Jeff and I've been on plenty of these calls. So we know, we know we feel the pain that they're going through simply was, we know they're not hurt. We just don't want to lift them ourselves for a variety of reasons. We want you to do it. And then off we go back into the system and that just becomes, becomes the norm. Fire service is trying to build a system around responding and managing emergencies. So that was a long way to explain what is, what's going on here. This community is trying to resolve this problem, this tragedy of the commons problem by imposing a fine or a fee or a disincentive to, to these care facilities, reducing the demand, preventing them from calling us in the first place. This particular agency is articulating the workload on their fire crews. These, this, they're, pull, they're doing paid on call to respond to these. So they're bringing people from home, paid on call, paying them specifically for that response versus units are standing by for calls, which difference for the, from the purpose of how they're articulating the, the need for the fine, not different in the economic situation that I tried to paint out here. So the question really becomes is, will it work? Is this going to work to prevent the calls, the unnecessary calls on EMS uh, for, for lift assists in care facilities where they're supposed to. And you know, like the long, the, the, the short answer of it is maybe you know, it, it depends. And it's really yet to be seen. We, we, we've seen some areas of the country who have imposed this. In some cases, it's been effective. In others, it isn't. It depends on how much of the fine, uh, what it looks like. But I'll pause there and let Jeff jump in a little bit on this conversation. But I, I really wanted to try to paint a picture for what is actually happening in a system and what is it that we're trying to solve for? Because I think that's important on how we look at emerge, a non-emergent services or calls that we as a fire service are trying to manage when demand is starting to exceed supply. Because that is a cost benefit problem most of our communities are facing. They cannot continue to run the increasing percentage of calls. So how do we deal with that? Imposing private costs on these externalities is a way to do that. Jeff? BLB, first of all, I love, I love where your head's at, man. This is an economics issue. I love tragedy of the commons. I'm going to just springboard off of it. My big bro gave me this quote several years ago, and my gosh, it just fits right here. It's Adam Smith. He's the father of economics. And what did he say? It's not out of benevolence that we can expect the brewer, the butcher, and the baker to bring us our dinner, but out of their own self-interest, right? They get paid. They get paid. Well, in this particular case, you bring the tragedy of the commons. You talk about this common resource. Boom to the how you are all over it, because when we go back to those care centers, they are they got staffing problems, too. And there's probably only one person on at midnight and she or he may not be fit. And they know that they can call 911 and they don't have to get into the game at all. They can augment their own work lives by using the 911 system. It's an economics problem. They're looking at their own self-interest. You are so spot on. And what I love about this particular case is yes, you are again, we're we're talking about economics here. It is a de-incentivizing program. It is, I'll reframe it slightly different and say it's a deterrent. If they're getting fined, well, now their jobs are on the line, right? They have to change their behavior based on this new piece of information. That particular care center is now getting fined. The management is getting upset. What are you doing? So there, there's a deterrent there. And I, I think that that's, uh, that's important. What I also like about this particular plan is it helps to effectively allocate limited resources. We talked about that. 
Well, here's another one that I like about the results of, of implementing this. It's going to make the crews happy. They're going to be stoked because they know that, yes, it benefits the system. They know that it's important to impose a penalty on people that are abusing this limited resources, this common pool resource, as you as you noted. And they now get a better sense of what leadership is doing. They understand the problem. They understand the taxing of the resource and they're 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 trying to change it through policy, which I like. And then finally, it's a it's an incentive for the department and or the employee. I think in this particular case, they were paid on call. So you have to augment with some some revenue opportunities. So I I I love and applaud this this move because it is happening across the country. And this doesn't make these care centers that we're talking about uh, nefarious. Right. These employees, they're they're taking advantage and they're taking advantage of what the system seems to give them really not knowing what the cascading amount of consequences are. And I don't, I want to stop short. I don't want to sound like I'm defending. I'm just trying to say that they're, they're, they're not necessarily having mal intentions for what they're doing, but they're selfish. They're economic. They are for their best interest and not for the community. And when you're talking about a limited community resource, a la emergency response vehicles, we have to make effective policy decisions. So I, I love this. I love this policy decision. And I love how you made this about economics because that is spot on. That is a bullseye. This is about human behavior and why they're doing these making these decisions. Right. And in the article, it says the fire department has responded to well over 100 of these calls this year, and they're hoping to see this number drop in 2024. But I want to ask you, Bob, are there any exceptions or financial assistance options for, you know, individuals who may not be able to afford these charges? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Samantha, because there are unintended consequences to what it is that that they're trying to do. Like, there's no question the problem that it is that they're trying to solve. And, you know, I posed it, will it work? And I gave the very ambiguous, maybe it might work because here are some of the counters. Here are some of the challenges. Number one, you're disincentivizing someone's utilization of 911 to report a potentially perceived emergency. We are assuming they know it's not an emergency and they're using us to supplement their staff and subsidize their staff. We've experienced that and we know after the fact that was the case. That was what our experience was. But it is hard to assess out on the front end that that person's fall wasn't caused by, uh, it wasn't a sinkable episode due to dizziness or loss of consciousness, that when they fell, they didn't injure themselves. You know, an argument can be made that there's a responsibility to assess, assess that patient. I would argue on the fire department side, you have staff capable of, of conducting that level of assessment. Right. But that's where it starts to get a little sticky. Number number two question on your on the cost issue is who be, who actually bears that cost? So the fire department's intent, I assume here and I've seen it in other communities, it's done in several throughout Oregon. I can talk about a policy response that occurred, at least from what I'm familiar with in Oregon. The intent is to find the facility for increasing demand on the fire department unnecessarily. But I don't know that that prohibits the facility from passing the cost to the patient. So now the cost goes from facility and they're they're proposing to charge three to four hundred dollars. I don't know where they came up with that number. 
Uh, I don't know if there was any any you know math that that went into the determination of that based on cost of the service or what have you. But let's let's accept for a second, you know, three to four hundred dollar fine assessed to the facility. The facility just tacks that on to the patient. Money goes to the patient who may or may not be able to afford that. Patient didn't call for themselves. They're paying for a facility to provide them a service. I so I would I would I would argue that's a bad downstream approach to it, but I don't know that these these types of ordinances or policies prohibit a facility from passing that that cost around. That concerns me and why I'd be hesitant to try to apply uh, something like this. So the, the amount you charge is, there's no, it's no hard and fast, you know, science. I mean, it's economics, there's, there's going to be math, there's going to be a level that's a deterrent and there's going to be a, a level that it actually may encourage the behavior because you know, ah, eh, the fine isn't really that big a deal. I'll just go ahead and pay it. So I think that's complicated. The, the outside, I, I I know of no agencies that have attempted, no public uh, facing agencies that I can think of right now, I should say that had charged something like this to someone like in their home, a private, a private residence, somebody falls, they call for help, lift assist. I've fallen and I can't get up and you put them back in bed. I don't know of any that are imposing a fine similar to that on someone like that, who's, who's living in their residence. So I, I don't know uh, what would be the reaction in terms of providing exemptions for people who who can't afford like in that environment. The intent of this particular policy solution is specifically targeted at facilities who arguably have the means to pay. Yeah, I, I want to acknowledge, Bob, you're spot on, maybe this this world of ambiguity that we we live in and putting this policy out there. There's there's certainly an, a, an amount of potential consequences that could could result what I what, what I like about it, it's a starting place. You're right. The amount of it could just become a cost of doing business. I mean, you see it in sports. Uh, you see it in, in 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 other areas of private industry where there are fines and people accept the fine as a as a cost and they move on. It doesn't actually change their behavior. What I like about this is it's a starting point. And what I mean by that is, let's just say, for instance, that you put this policy in place and it's three or four hundred dollars and you notice that it doesn't. It doesn't decrease the amount of responses. It stays the same or increases. Well, that's where you can add on to the policy. And this is where I think it's so important for organizations to use data intelligently and, and make their next move based on that information coming in. For example, if they did see that, well, then they could impose, well, if you get three or four or five of these in any number of times, then you start to constrain the organization and then it becomes a financial penalty versus well, now you might lose your ability to do business in the city of X, or you might have this other penalty that goes along with it. So I think that what it provides for a community and or a fire agency and or a city, however, it is kind of broken down, is the ability to, it's an entry place into the deterrent market, so to speak, where hopefully they put the fine out there and the in the fee, as as we described it, and it works. It, it it deters the behavior from happening. But if it doesn't, it you can impose, you know, we could look at this as foreign relations to some extent. You can impose additional sanctions in order to get the behavior and the adjustment that you're looking for. So I, I do see all those things that you're you're mentioning. And, and certainly we have to be cognizant of those those consequences. But I think it's those are also opportunities for the fire agency in this case to pivot or the community to pivot and and add additional restrictions, so to speak, in order to to make it a really, really impactful policy. 
Yeah, I just wanted to point out there are some organizations in Oregon had approached the fee for service and the, the reaction was met with great resistance by the Oregon Healthcare Association. So it's a state association represents these healthcare facilities and they were they were quite powerful in being able to lobby at the legislature and pass a bill that essentially put a hold on fire departments and cities and other you know other community fire districts municipalities from being able to impose fines and fees like this in state law now it was a a period that called for a task force to study the problem and prohibited uh, organizations from imposing fines or fees like this until 2027 so i i would encourage those that are considering you know action like this that you know, that was obviously a very harsh legislative approach that essentially removed this economic tool to solve a tragedy, the commons problem away from communities because they do need to solve this issue or we or we we have a demand that exceeds supply and then it it, it imposes a great social risk to society. I, I think that case is compelling when you look at the evidence and the data for fire chiefs who are considering this. You are you are you are if you run a fire department that runs EMS calls, you are having this problem. Again, if you have care facilities in your in your community, and if you're not, please share with us at, at fireheadlines at wfca.com what you are doing to help prevent it. But I would say a gross majority of our fire chiefs are having this issue. My advice to you is this. One, be very transparent with the leadership of those care facilities about the problem. Because in my experience, a lot of times they don't know. The leadership does not know the problem it is it's stewing with you every day your crews are are burned out they're having conflict at the the nurse to paramedic or emt level in these calls but it's not rising up to an issue that leadership is aware about i encourage you to bring them to the table i'm a huge fan of collaborating at every moment being transparent about the problem and i would make that problem transparent to your community and utilize the the community's awareness to what's happening because that's the commons is for all of us Maybe you don't want to do economics 101, got it. But the, the the system is being adversely impacted and I would utilize help with awareness, transparency and information before you go into a hard heading, a hard hitting policy solution like this. Because if you don't, my opinion, like this is sort of like Bob's lobbying insight on this particular problem is like, if you don't, the healthcare association or whatever represents these groups can make a compelling argument about the unwillingness of providing service to people who are having emergencies and becomes about who controls the narrative. So it's complex. I like that's, that's the point. I'm not suggesting fire departments should not impose this kind of a cost, a private cost to, to reach a socially optimal resource demand. I think you should, I think you should give that consideration, but there's a lot to give thought to as you're navigating a problem like this. And I would start by meeting with their leadership and explaining the problem. Thank you, Chiefs, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. A link to the article we discussed can be found in the show notes. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. Enjoy a happy Veterans Day, and we'll see you back here next week for more Fire Headlines. Mm -hmm.